After years of anticipation, the Seahawks are officially rolling back to the 90s. How did their new throwback uniforms look? Rob Rang, Nick Lee, and I are going to be breaking it all down in our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a special Wednesday episode on a number of fronts, including two co-hosts today. I've got Rob Rang and Nick Lee joining the show. Going to be a jam-packed episode. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, whether you're listening from Eugene, Oregon, or Lansing, Michigan. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week we're going to be breaking down the interior offensive line as we continue our training camp preview we've got our final three in our 90-man countdown the best of the best the cream of the crop for the seahawks but we've also got a very important uniform aesthetics topic that we've got to cover as well going to be a really fun wednesday episode so let's get to it now for your lead story here on our wednesday edition of locked on seahawks It's been known for several months that the Seahawks were going to be turning back the clock to the 1990s, hopefully not in the win-loss column, but at least with their uniforms, the Seahawks are going to be busting out throwbacks. The last couple of days, there's been some small teasers coming courtesy of our buddy Quandre Diggs, but today we finally got to see the complete package, the full throwback uniform in all of its glory. And Nick, I'm going to give you the mic here first because – you and I were talking yesterday, and you're like, oh, man, it, when, when this uniform comes out, I think i got to be on the show for, for this particular episode. And I don't know about you, but I don't think that the Seahawks could have orchestrated this throwback reveal any better than what they did. Yeah, I've listened to a bit more Nirvana today than I normally do. <laughs> um, look, I, I feel like I'm the resident you know, uniform nerd, geek, connoisseur, uh snob if you will here on the show i love uniforms especially in football i just feel like there's there's such a it's such a big part of the game the fan experience um and, and let me be for the first to say i think the seahawks current uniforms their their normal defaults uh, you know uniforms they have with the navy and action green are one of the best looks in football and in easily the best uniform set they have had in their franchise history and I don't think that they should, there, there's nothing wrong with it. And I don't think they should, you know, do wholesale changes to their entire brand. I'm going to go away from that. I think it's fantastic. However, these throwbacks and how they released it, what not home run does not describe it, Corbin and Rob. It was grand slam. Um, you know, I'm, I'm calling it right now. Those with those throwbacks in the rotation, I know our RIP Wolf Grays. I, I get that. Um, but throw these throwbacks in with, in the rotation with their normal um, home Navy road whites and then the action green. I think the Seahawks now have the best uniform rotation in the NFL. I mean, um, the release itself was just out of this world. Uh, you know, the 1990s website, the AOL, Microsoft, and giving everyone older than 30 years old PTSD with the dial-up sound. I, I played that over <laughs> my loudspeaker on my phone, um, and my, I had two different reactions. I had my wife going, what are you doing? What, what Dial-up, what's going on? And my five-year-old going, what the heck is that awful sound? <laughs> and, um, so it was fantastic. And then, you know, the, the, the reveal of Jackson Smith and Jigba, 
um, and just the the description of it, and I just reading through kind of it was almost like a City Connects kind of release um, when he dove into the details of it. Like in baseball, it says you know the iconic royal blue and apple green return honoring the Salish seas and forests of the Emerald City and Pacific Northwest with a sleek streamlined cut and cinch sleeves, the body of the uniform. And I wanted to do count point out two things real quick. One. The thing that immediately stood out to me were the sleeves, the sleeve logo. Oh my gosh, they absolutely nailed that. That's exactly where my eyes went was that sleeve logo. I mean, especially with nowadays where it's kind of uptight and, you know, it's, it's tight around the sleeves. That's really hard to get right. And they got it perfectly. And then I also lastly want to shout out uh, Grace Winnegar, I think is uh, her name. Uh, I saw her on Twitter. Um, basically, she said a year and a half ago, I designed the Kingdom logo for our throwback campaign. It's an honor to see that used in the jersey. So if you look in the um, on the collar behind in the back, there's the Kingdom logo. I mean, just it really was like a City Connect reveal. Um, for uh, just that's kind of my best description. So shout out to her and that staff for. I mean, just the marketing, the PR. I mean, my gosh. I mean, home run. It was. It wasn't just. A, it was like back to back to back home runs. It was just fantastic. Yeah, there were so many things that they did building up to this. I know fans and players were just chomping at the bit because the one helmet rule prevented this from happening up until now. And then they had to do all the retail stuff and then it just kept getting prolonged and fans were getting really upset about that. That why is this not happening? But Rob, it feels like, and especially for somebody, and this is not calling you old, but you (laughs) were able to watch more games with the Seahawks wearing these uniforms than what Nick and I were. This really did give the dash of nostalgia that fans were begging for. And I think the team really capitalized on that with the way that they released this uniform today. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think that Nick did a great job of kind of articulating what what makes the uniform really pop for the people who haven't been able to actually see it. And then, of course, if you're watching on YouTube, then you got a chance to, to see a picture there of Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, you know, kind of modeling the uniform, just the the, the bright royal blue colors of, of the top, the, the the silver helmets, the silver pants. I just have always thought that, that was a really sharp look. And so, again, I think that I have to agree with what Nick said a moment ago. I, I really like Seattle's look right now but i also am a huge fan of what i've always considered to be kind of that classic uh of the silver and royal blue and again just uh just the 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 tip of the cap to the indigenous people of the region with the 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 native logo um and so i've I've always been a big fan of that and as you mentioned corbin i mean i've been you know in born and raised in the seattle area my 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 parents and my uncle bought season tickets literally in 1976 when the franchise was born and we have had season tickets in the family the entire time since um when the the seahawks announced that it was going to be the week eight game against the cleveland browns was going to be the game that they were going to re-release these uniforms onto the field. Then I purchased those tickets from my brother who had never gives up his seats. Uh, and, and so I, just because I was so excited, I mean, I'm literally wearing a silver shirt right now just to kind of, you know, give again, some appreciation of that. And I'll, I'll kind of quickly digress to one of my favorite memories of the Seahawks in the kingdom wearing these exact jerseys. It was actually December 11th, 1988. It was the classic Steve Largent revenge hit of Mike Harden and a lot of people might remember that what I remember about that not only was the big hit not only the fact that that it was again perfect revenge for uh the hit that Mike Harden had that was an illegal hit knocked out a couple of Steve Large's teeth knocked him out uh on onto the turf in the week one of that same season now you got to fast forward all the way to week 15 this is 
the year two ESPN has been doing Sunday night football with Mike Patrick and Joe Theismann on the call. And it's uh, again, week 15, the Broncos, the Raiders and the Seahawks are all not up at seven and seven. And they're all fighting for the division title and the Seahawks beat the Broncos in this particular game. They go on the road and beat the Raiders a week later to actually have the very first AFC West division title in Seattle history. And I was there. And so it was a fantastic memory for me. And I just can't wait to see uh, the silver and blue back in Seattle officially. Yeah, it's tough to beat those silver helmets, especially they just look cooler with the modern style. And that's what you got to give the Seahawks props for here is that they were able to get designers. They took their time. They were able to get the colors right. And they were able to make these look almost near identical while also still having the modern technologies the modern Nike uniforms. And like Nick said, I was worried about that side sleeve. How are they going to make that look when the uniforms aren't the baggy sleeves like they were back in the 80s and 90s? And they hit a home run. For our listeners, we're going to give you an opportunity to win a Seahawks throwback uniform. We wanted to give everybody an opportunity. We originally announced the winner on today's show. But if you check out my social media, my Twitter account, at Corbin Smith NFL. You can also participate in our community page on YouTube. All you got to do is just tell us what you think of the new throwback uniforms, and you're going to be automatically entered in for a chance to win a Geno Smith throwback uniform. We'll also have a second prize for a Seahawks beanie cap with the old traditional logo. So a great opportunity to win some old school Seahawks gear. Again, all you got to do is just enter on my Twitter account at Corbin Smith NFL, or you can enter on YouTube. We will be announcing our winners on tomorrow's show. Make sure everybody gets a 24-hour grace period. We want all the 12s to be involved with this as much as possible. So again, check those contest details out, and we will be announcing the winners on tomorrow's show. Really excited for 112 to get the chance to get a Geno Smith throwback uniform. And by the way, I don't know there's a player on the team that was more excited about those than what he was seeing through the pictures that were sent. Geno's clearly excited about the throwback uniforms. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, we'll, we'll forgive him for not knowing what a Walkman was because, well, he was born a year after the Seahawks last wore these uniforms, and that makes me feel really old. Anyway, we're going to get to the interior offensive line coming up next for the Seahawks, continuing our training camp preview. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks, which is brought your way by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run of the day. It's all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. I'm Corbin Smith, your host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, here to celebrate these new glorious throwback uniforms the Seahawks revealed today and much more. Glad to have Rob Rank and Nick Lee both co-hosting on today's show. And a special thanks to all the 12s that are tuning in for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it for everydayers tomorrow. Of course, we'll be announcing our contest winners for a Geno Smith throwback uniform as well as a throwback beanie hat. But we'll also be diving into some 53-man roster projections 
pre-training camp should be a really fun episode. Make sure you are listening in. All right, Nick and Rob, let's talk interior offensive line. This has been on the schedule for a couple days, and the Seahawks decided, you know what, we're going to release our throwback uniforms. There's been some other news of note, and we just haven't had a chance to talk interior offensive line, but this is going to be a group that is extremely intriguing going into training camp because there still is some uncertainty. You're going to have two new starters at center and right guard. And at the same time, at least the consensus out there seems to be that regardless of what happens to those two positions, that the Seahawks will be in better shape. And I really think that that's the biggest question. How much better or is this offensive line going to be better in general with the new center and right guard combination. Rob, I'm going to swing it to you first here because yep. you've been an optimist on this front. I know there's plenty of 12s that are cautious about this. And like We haven't seen these guys play yet, but there is reason to believe this group is going to be better by default with some of the personnel changes that they've made. Well, they're, they're bigger, they're stronger. And again, I've, I've gained confidence in what uh, that Pete Carroll and Andy Dickerson have been able to do the last couple of years. I mean, just the confidence that, uh, that the Seahawks showed last year and going with the two rookie tackles um, gives me a lot more confidence that they're going to be able to shore up the interior. Uh, of course, you still have to deal with a guy named Aaron Donald, the LA Rams. And so uh, I think it's critical um, that, that Seattle improves its play in the interior. Otherwise, the whole thing could blow up in your face. I mean, quite literally. Um, you know, as far as Geno Smith being, you know, potentially injured by, you know, an early attack if Seattle is not able to address the interior. So I think that this is, um, you know, something that very much bears watching. As you said, that there's a possibility that Seattle's going to have two new starters in the interior. Of course, the Phil Haynes is the starter. Then he did have some starting experience a year ago. We're talking about a handful of starts. So if it's Anthony Bradford that winds up bat battling and beating him out for the position, then I just hope that it's the rookie who is excelling rather than the veteran disappointing same kind of conversation there at the center position of course it's a three-man race everybody is focusing in on on evan brown the, the the free agent uh you know addition from the detroit lions and of course all of the from from michigan as the draft pick but joey hunt as well and you got three guys who are basically within one inch and eight pounds of each other. I mean, it looks like, you know, uh, the three musketeers out there. So who of them is going to be able to really kind of seize that job? Uh, I, I do believe in the talent that I've seen from these young players, but I think that uh, longtime Seahawks fans know well that you, you should hold judgment and see what happens in training camp because the defensive lines that Seattle is going to be asked to, to face this year are, are formidable. And if they're going to try and make that next step to compete against San Francisco and Philadelphia's of the world, then they, they, they can't just be okay. They have to be very good on that front. Yeah, you make a really good point. I about, see Nick you know, nodding his head over there at some of the comments that were made. <laughs> <in time. laughs> yeah, you make a good point, Rob, because it's it, the matchups with the NFC. I mean, just the – with the 49ers, the Eagles, and even again in the division, besides the Niners, the, the Rams are still very formidable on the inside. Um, so they're, they're going to have to beef up and they're going to have to be stronger up the middle. And I think the, the, the floor is higher um, if for, for the Seahawks this year in the interior line and have it than it has been in the past. And I think they've set themselves up nicely. I, I kind of view the, the signing and the contract structure of Evan Brown, much like I do Geno Smith's where it's pretty low risk, easy to get out of, and it's rewarding for the player if they perform well. Um, but they also set themselves up for the future. And that future is Olu Oluwatimi at center. And that's the, he's got to be the future at center. 
And so, yeah, I, I do, you know, I think we all assume Evan Brown's going to get that first chance to win the week one uh, job for center. And um, that, that we know he's got some time at guard too. And I'm, I'm about as optimistic about the uh, interior offensive line as I have been in quite some time, probably since, you know, the Justin Britt days. Um, it's, I think it's come a long way in, in the few years since then. Damian Lewis ranked 13th among guards in overall pro football focus grade. Phil Haynes allowed just one pressure in two of his final three games. Um, so those two, especially in, in Anthony Bradford, I think is a mauler waiting to happen in, in, in the interior as a rookie. Um, he's got really, really good run blocking grades. So, yeah, I think they've set themselves up nicely where there's some depth, there's some versatility there, especially at the center position. And I, I like that you pointed out Joey Hunt. I think he's a little bit behind the eight ball just with the, the excitement of, of Oluwatimi in the draft, but um, certainly doesn't hurt to have a third guy in there. Um, but I fully expect Oluwatimi to take a hold of this job sooner rather than later, maybe not immediately out of camp or immediately week one. But I think the best case scenario is, you know, he wins out, but then Evan Brown's still a very serviceable guard, you know, swing guard, depth guy. Um, or backup center, you know, and just has that versatility. So I, I'm about as optimistic, like I said, about the interior offensive line as I have been maybe since, you know, 2018 or so. As Rob pointed out, there's plenty of reasons to be guarded about this because we have seen in the past in the Pete Carroll era that there have been some offensive lines that there's been some cautious optimism about and then things just haven't worked out. But I have to go with what Nick is saying here. This is as optimistic that I've been about this interior offensive line. I'm actually going to go back to when Max Unger was playing center. And it's funny that I'm saying this because we talked about our underrated teams yesterday on the show. And Justin Britt was my pick at center. I thought Justin Britt was a fine starting center, but he was a middle of the pack guy. He was never a top 10 player. I think Olu Oluwatimi has the upside to be a top 10 center in the league. And I can't remember the last time that I said that it had to be Max Unger because Justin Britt never just felt like that was his ceiling. And so really what has me most excited about this group, though, is that I just feel like regardless of how this plays out going into week one, you have four players that are 27 or younger that are competing for these two spots. There is upside here. Evan Brown has played really well at center in the last two years when he started for the Lions, much better than a guard. He's been excellent pass protection. He's opened up holes in the run game. He's 26. So as Nick said, if he plays really well, I mean, you got a really cheap deal for him, but that could still be a guy that is a long-term potential center. He's in his mid-20s. And then Phil Haynes, he's 27. They were 3-0 when he started last year. I think Phil Haynes has a big step on Anthony Bradford at that spot. I think Oluwatimi has a very good chance to win center position. But either way, all four of these players are under the age of 27 and that creates a lot of optimism on my part because you've got a really young core there and they're all much bigger and stronger. No offense to Austin Blythe, but these guys are going to be able to move people off the ball in a way that he couldn't do for the Seahawks, especially in the second half last season. And so with that youth, there comes the big wild card in all of this. And last year, the Seahawks started two rookie tackles. Could they start a rookie center and a rookie right guard? You could have four players in the lineup that have one year of starting experience or less. And even if Phil Haynes ends up winning his starting job, he started like five games in his career. So he doesn't have a full year of starting experience. But if you have to start two rookies, Rob, uh, that really is a wild card here because of some of the players that are in this division that you got to play against, like, you know, Aaron Donald. And now you got to deal in San Francisco with not just Eric Armstead, but uh, they also have uh, Javon Hargrave now who came in in free agency. So good luck if the rookies have to play against those guys in the interior. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's why as cautiously optimistic I am as, as I am about Evan Brown, and I think that Nick made an excellent point that Brown has that, that guard experience as well, because right now Seattle only has the four guards and one of them being, uh, you know, of course, Bradford for the, the draft pick, but then the other one, Kendall Randolph um, was a, you know, a very versatile offensive lineman and tight end for Alabama. And his key to possibly making this team um, is his versatility. But at the same time, you know, Randolph was not much of a, of a starter at Alabama, so you can't re be relying on him. Bradford basically only became a, a starter at LSU, you know, late in his college career. Um, and so he was basically a one-year starter. You certainly have a lot of starting experience at Ola Timmy. Um, but at the same time, I, I do have some reservations because, again, if you go back to Evan Brown, I mean, you tell me who are the dominant defensive tackles in the NFC North division that Evan Brown was so successful against. I mean, certainly they don't compete against, you know, the, the, the tackles that the defensive tackles that are in the NFC West. And again, I just see a lot of youth, a lot of talent, but, uh, you know, a, a big roll of the dice here by Seattle because they are very in, in, inexperienced on the interior. And so I, I am cautiously optimistic. Uh, I am optimistic, but cautiously optimistic, I guess is the way that I would put it. Um, just because I, I see this as potentially being the Achilles heel that can sink the Seahawks season, whether it be the interior of the offense or the interior of the defense. To me, that is the biggest question about the Seahawks of 2023. We'll see if Nick has any more thoughts on that front as far as starting one or two rookies on this offensive line. I think you've made it pretty clear that you think one is going to be there, but uh, what would you think about the possibility that they could start two at some point this season and what that means for this offensive line, not just in 2023, but moving forward? I think they'll, there would be some growing pains for sure. Um, you know, that that's, I, I kind of like what you, uh, Rob, made the point about, you know, the, the, the race, you, know, you, you hope it's more the, the rookie excelling than the veteran kind of, you know, disappointing. And I, I agree with that. And, um, what you, you look at the schedule right off the bat, right out of the gate, get the ramps. I mean, it's, it, it's right, right in the frying pan. So it's not exactly, you know, you don't get to play some of these, not any schedule in the NFL is easy, but, um, you got you play some marquee defensive linemen, different defensive tackles right out of the gate. So you're going to get if you do roll with three, four rookies um, or three, four, you know, young, young guys in, in, with a bit of an inexperience, still kind of green. Um, they're going to get tested right away. And some of that is good because that's OK. You get that one game against the, you can kind of look at it two ways. You can get that game out of the ramp or the against the Rams out of the way quickly in week one and get that experience and like, OK that's about as rough as it might get all season <laughs> is that first game. So there, you can kind of view that in two different ways. And then you get, you got, not that there's a breath, but you know, lions, Panthers, giants after that. And they, they have some talent, but not to the level of the, of the Rams up front. So I do kind of like the idea of maybe starting a lot of young guys up front and dealing with the Rams week one and kind of learning from that as you go. Cause much like Charles cross and, and a Lucas that you kind of saw them progress as the year went along. Their, their pro football focus grades got a little bit greener and greener as, as the year progressed. I could see that perhaps happening to the interior as a unit if they start out you know really young and, and progress through the year. Yeah, baptism by fire worked for those guys, but we've also seen examples where that completely can derail a young player's confidence and they have a tough time coming back from it. And if Aaron Donald just murders Oluwatimi and or Anthony Bradford in the middle, you know that might be something that has a prolonged effect on their play negatively too. And so it is a little bit of a roll of the dice if you do that, but I would tend to think the Seahawks have shown that they're more than happy to throw these guys in if they have earned that job. And like 
both of you said. Hopefully, it's not because the veterans stunk it up. Hopefully, it's because the rookies just simply outperformed them and beat them out and earned that job. And so those are going to be two really fun competitions to watch when training camp opens next week in the middle at center and right guard. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to have both Rob Rang and Nick Lee on board for today's episode. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Let's get to the final 90-man countdown segment. We have reached the finish line. We're to the last three. And I guess I should be kind of with uh, you know a little bit of quotes here, players, because if you've been paying attention, the Seahawks actually have not had 90 men on their roster since the beginning of the offseason program. They've been at 89 pretty much the entire time, which means our 90-man countdown is one person short. And I think we'd be remiss, Rob, not to mention – the gum-chewing champion himself. I think Pete Carroll's got to be one of the three most important figures for the Seahawks team going into the 2023 season. So he comes in at number three on our 90-man countdown. Even though he's not wearing a uniform, he's as vital as anyone to Seattle's chances of making a deep playoff run this year. Oh, no question about it. And I think that he is coming off one of the the best seasons of his coaching career. And I, and I say that with uh, as much respect as I possibly can for a man who has been coaching in the NFL now for 17 years as an NFL head coach is um, 58, almost 59% winning percentage is among the best in NFL history. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, it really should be something that kind of puts him in that Canton conversations we've been talking about the last couple of days. And, you know, so again, Corbin, I just think that, uh, you know, for both you and Nick, I mean, I'd ask you guys to kind of think back. I mean, you know, you guys have been Seahawk followers, obviously, for a long, long time and have watched everything that uh, that Pete Carroll has done here over his tenure. I mean, I obviously winning the Super Bowl, um, you know, getting a team to come back to the Super Bowl. I mean, that happens so rarely. Um, you know, those two years, obviously, are, are phenomenal seasons. But when you look back at, at Pete Carroll, what he was able to do, I mean, obviously all the questions at the offensive tackle position, the questions at the quarterback position, you're you're crazy enough to start this fifth-round rookie cornerback that, you know, has only been playing the position for, you know, a year or all these different questions. You know, think about how how many questions we had about the the offensive play caller, and did did the Seahawks make a mistake in in hiring Shane Walsh, and all that kind of nonsense that Pete Carroll was able to put into a another season of getting making the playoffs i just to me I, I think that it is appropriate that we're talking about him as if he is a player the soon to be 72 year old pete Carroll, who still is the lifeblood of this franchise uh so you know i, I think that we, we could make an argument that he should have been the very fir- the, the, the first player or the first person that we talked about as far as number one i mean john schneider said it himself the most important people in the building are the quarterback and the head coach and i think with the head coach and pete carroll i think it's very clearly who the most important person is in the franchise and uh you know again i i'm excited to see what he's going to do this year because what he's done so far has been nothing short of remarkable yeah nick i think the reason that we probably have him at number three if and i'll put this graphic back up real quick you gotta look at the challenge percentage and, and we've made plenty of jokes about that over the years but one just one out of six challenges last year and so we're looking at 16.7% win uh, percentage on those challenges. And he has admitted it that sometimes he just seems to like lighting his challenge flag on fire. 
That's just kind of the way that Pete Carroll operates. So maybe that's the one thing holding him back from being number one in this list. But in all seriousness, as Rob pointed out, one of the most important men in the entire building and just the way that he institutes the culture here. I don't know that we'd be having the optimism about the Seahawks team if they had a different man running the show than Pete Carroll himself. I also missed the uh, the meetings where we, we we had film study counting as you know packs of gum. I wish I would have been part of that. I missed that. <laughs> I've um, spent the entire summer <laughs> counting that. <man. laughs> yeah, I mean, l- l- let's be real. L- last year, you know, before last season, the, se- the, the when things were getting hairy, the Seahawks chose Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson, and you know, yeah. a lot of fan the fan base was was saying fire Pete, keep Russ, and that looks pretty silly now. I think. Um, yep. And he's easily one of the top 10 coaches in the NFL, top five. I mean, we, we laughed at that list last week. Um, you know, 10 playoff appearances in 13 years. And I keep bringing up the fact that, you know, over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, easily the Seahawks have been the most consistent NFC franchise. I mean, we see so many of these franchises, the Panthers, the Falcons, where they, they burn up like magnesium. They, you know, they have that really bright burning couple seasons and then they just, they just totally fizzle out full rebuild. And the Seahawks have not done that. Now, yes, they, they probably left a title or two on the table, but you know, that, that can be said for a lot. And being that close um, has its merits. And um, you know, we, we can kind of split those hairs there, but they have not burnt out like Nick magnesium, like some of these other NFC upstarts have. Um, they've been more consistent than the Packers. Um, you know, I, I, I think I was, I had barely graduated high school the last time the Packers won a title. So um, you know, it, it's, he's just been the, a model of consistency and a, a player-friendly model that he's that shown works, and players love playing for him. It's that simple, and he's created a healthy culture in Seattle uh, where, where players clearly love being here and being themselves, and that kind of lends itself to, to players performing up to their potential. We've got two spots left in our 90-man countdown. We've got our coach out of the way now, so we're going back to the two most important players for the Seahawks, and this was one that we were a little bit torn on here in terms of do we, do we put some of the defenders at number two? But I think you look at this Seahawks team, Rob, and DK Metcalf at 25 years of age. It's hard to believe that that's all the older he is because he's now been in the league for four full seasons, but he's just 25. He is still barely scratching the surface of his potential. He had a career high in receptions last year, had over a thousand yards for the second time. Not as many touchdowns as we were accustomed to seeing. Still had six of them though. And now he's going to have Jackson Smith and Jigba there to take some of the pressure off and allow defenses to maybe give him some more opportunities to win downfield because of that ceiling that is still so high. Maybe this is the year, year two with Geno Smith, that we really see DK Metcalf take off and get closer to that full potential because defenses are not going to be able to gang up on him the same way. At least the Seahawks are hoping that's how this is going to play out. But even with how good Tyler Lockett is, he doesn't have the ceiling that DK Metcalf has for this team to make that big leap towards a Super Bowl. They need players like DK Metcalf that have those super high ceilings to reach those ceilings going into 2023. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any receiver in, uh, you know, in Seahawks history, certainly that has DK Metcalf ceiling, uh, just as a remarkable athlete. You know, I, I just, you know, I sometimes will kind of go off into my little tangents and tell stories and stuff. And that is still one of my favorite memories as a Seahawks analyst is the, the moment that the Seahawks drafted DK Metcalf and just to see the way that he has, you know, 
matured as a as a player in, in terms of just the the focus on his routes, the the development that he has shown in, in terms of his maturity um, and, and in plucking the football wasn't something that he always did at Ole Miss. The durability that was a huge question mark when when he was drafted, and, and the fact that he has only missed one game in four seasons in the NFL has thirty five touchdowns in four seasons in the NFL. I mean that's remarkable. Puts him on a pace with some of the all time greats. So at the same time, it also feels like, yeah, but with DK Metcalf sometimes, it just feels like that, that he's still not the player that he could be. And, and maybe that's unfair because it, he's just so physically dominant that we sometimes put these expectations on players. But, you know, I, I still see, I, I look at his numbers and he had a career high 90 receptions last year, which obviously is very exciting and had his second time that he got over a thousand yards. But as you mentioned, he only had the six touchdown catches. That's the lowest of his career. He only averaged, uh, you know, 7.4 yards per target that's the lowest of his career um you know he's got seven fumbles two fumbles this past season i mean that that's for a guy as big and strong as he is there's just some areas in which it still feels like dk metcalf could improve so i i agree with what you just said a moment ago corbin is that i, I i'm excited about uh dk metcalf but if seattle is going to take that next step then as i talked about before with the interior the offensive and defensive lines sure that, that just goes without saying but you need dk metcalf to go from being just the the best player the most gifted wide receiver in Seahawks history to really taking control and, and being a, a top two, top three, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, take over a game kind of a receiver. And I've not yet seen DK Metcalf truly do that. I don't know that the Seahawks have faith that he will do that. Maybe that's why they made Jack Smith and Jigba the, the, the first round pick that they did. Yeah, it all goes back to the consistency aspect. There have been games where he's taken over, but he's not done that consistently. And then there's the fumbles. And I know Nick's going to point this out. The drops, five of them last year. And it just seems like they come at the worst of times. So it's focus-related stuff. It's year five. If he can just finally get over the hump and limit those mistakes as one of the best receivers in football, then that really is going to help this offense take its game to another level. And speaking of, you know, DK Metcalf and, and this this throwback reveal, it, it's nice to see, a, you know, how it's going to look on my physique when I look at DK Metcalf. I mean, that's just, you know, we have similar body types, so it's nice to see what, what it looks like on him so I could, could model it for myself. Anyway, um, yeah, so for DK Metcalf, now I'm going to be honest for a second. Yes, 1,000 yards receiving first two years, or first two of the first four years, pretty impressive. Um, some record sets. And but with all the hype he's getting, and now we need to bring up you know the contract. He's now the uh, top five paid receiver in the NFL when you look at an average annual value. Um, I need more. I, I expect more from him. And and actually, you said five, Corbin. I actually read seven drops on Pro Football Reference. I know that some some sites kind of gauge drops a little differently, but um, seven drops. That's not that you got to cut those in half. I think. Um, and if he gets if he you know cuts those drops in half, he probably does exceed 1,100, 1,150 yards. But with that kind of contract and that kind of hype he's getting, I need, you know, the 1,200-yard, 8 to 10 touchdown range at least um, for to have that conversation. Um, because really, I mean, that might not be fair with Tyler Lockett opposite him. Now you got Jackson Smith and Jigba um, to, you know, take up some of the oxygen. But he's still uh, the most easily the most physically gifted of those three. And I still think he can be a top 10, top five wide receiver in this league. He's certainly being paid like one. Um, but he, he's definitely got to clean some stuff up. He still has the occasional mental, you know, mental mistake. And, you know, like I mentioned, the, the, the drops, not acceptable. Um, but 
you know, this is, it's kind of Cadillac problems, I like to say. And that is kind of DK Metcalf. He is a Cadillac in this offense. And, you know, seeing him go from, you know, look at us whining about, oh man, I wish he could go from a thousand yards to 1200 yards or something like that. that that's a decent problem to have. So, um, of course, I, I wouldn't trade DK Metcalf for very many receivers in the NFL. Um, and I, I like, like you mentioned, the, the year two with Geno Smith, the comfort level. And now he has a year under his belt. He's truly now a veteran, even though he's still, you know, you know going in 20, year, his year 26 season, but which is hard to believe. But I, I do believe there is a next step for him. Yeah, we just haven't seen that yet. And I guess that's good news for the Seahawks, but you're hoping at this point you're finally going to see him really burst through that ceiling. He's been a borderline top 10 receiver, but you feel like he could be a top five or a top three with the physical tools that he has. And one person that can help him get to that point, as we've pointed out, and it's going to be cliche, well, the quarterback's the most important position in professional sports. Well, it is. And Geno Smith is going to ultimately be the one with this new three-year contract in tow. He's going to be the one that really dictates how far this team goes. Obviously, a better defense would help as well. But this team is going to go as far with all the weapons they've put around Geno Smith. They're going to go as far as number seven will take them. And they put their confidence in him with the contract they gave him. And yet, there's a lot of escalators. So they were protecting themselves a little bit. Like, you had a great year last year, but we want to see you do it a second time. And if he's able to do that, then the Seahawks have a really good chance to go much deeper into the postseason. So it goes without saying, Rob. Geno Smith comes in at number one. Russell Wilson was number one in the countdown most of the seasons that he was the starting quarterback. That's just the way it goes when you've got an established veteran at this quarterback position. It is the most important position in sports, and your team is going to go where that quarterback takes you ultimately. Yeah, exactly, and that's what's going to be interesting to see if Geno Smith can take Seattle further. Uh, but it, it, I think it's it's worth kind of going back for a moment and just looking at uh, you know Geno Smith's numbers and comparing him to the elite. I think Nick made an excellent point a moment ago that you know he just just expect more from DK Metcalf if you're going to pay him top five kind of money. And then you look at his six touchdowns a year ago, and you look at all these wide receivers that I mean there there's. 20, uh, maybe more that, that are ahead of DK Metcalf. Whereas you go to Geno Smith, on the other hand, and the only quarterbacks who threw for more touchdowns than Geno Smith did a year ago were the three that you would expect Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, you know, and so we are talking about the elite of the elite. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, what this comes down to is expectations now. Is I think that you, Corbin, did a great job of encapsulating what it comes down to DK Metcalf consistency. For Geno Smith, to me, it comes down to expectations. We had very little, at least I had very little expectations of Geno Smith as Seattle starter a year ago. Now the expectations is playoffs. And so if Seattle does stumble out of the gate, as we talked about before, if they have a bunch of young interior offensive linemen and they struggle early on, that's it all falling apart. And this being a really interesting season. But at the same time, if they start to roll the way that Pete Carroll and Geno Smith, you know, might be able to, you know, recapture that magic from a year ago. I think the schedule actually sets up pretty nice for him and they really could kind of get that momentum. And I don't know that I've ever seen any quarterback come in and take over a city the way that Geno Smith did a year ago. So similar to the reason why I have such great confidence in Seattle on the offensive line because of the confidence that Pete Carroll and Andy Dickerson have kind of forced us to, to learn. I have great confidence in Geno Smith because he forced, he, he made me definitely one of his biggest critics made me a believer a year ago. And Nick, they gave Geno Smith immense confidence. And you could see that when he took over for Russell Wilson when he got hurt two years ago. 
Backups don't come in normally and do that, but the Seahawks is a Pete Carroll thing. They just find ways to push the right buttons, and you got to believe that that's still going to happen this year. And if that's the case, Geno can be even better than he was a year ago. Yeah, I think that Rob made a good point about the expectations, and the goalposts have definitely been moved this year for him because last year, yeah, the bar was pretty low. Um, you know, we were all pretty down on that situation. I might have called it a joke um, somewhere down the line, you know, before the season started. And to see him go, yeah, leading the NFL in completion percentage, top five in QB rating, you, you name it. Um, I would be hard pressed to expect that from him again, um, just because just he's not sneaking up on anybody this year. He's just not. And he put the whole league on notice last year to his credit. Um, but that might, you know, not necessarily will be his undoing, but he's, like I said, not going to sneak up on anybody. So, you know, the, the target's going to be more on his back this year. And the teams are going to come in more prepared for the game he brings, which is a very good one. I kind of call him, you know, lovingly a point guard, or he's a very good distributor. He's not the most physically dominant, you know, you know, toolsy kind of quarterback, but he distributes and he does it well. And he's a great teammate. Um, so and there's some absolute value in that. He can absolutely be a top 10 quarterback still in this league uh, moving forward. But, you know, some of the, some of the numbers from last year, I, I, I wonder if that's repeatable. Um, but still, my expectations are higher this year. And I, like with you, Rob, my expectation is playoffs. And I, I've gotten to a really interesting conversation with a good friend of mine about as wins as a QB stat. And I kind of leave towards, I mean, yeah, and, and mostly, I mean, over a large sample size. And Geno Smith did won, won way more games last year than we expected. And, you know, he, I expect the same, if not more, this year. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang and Nick at Nick Lee 51. You might see some somewhat depressed tweets here during baseball season. It's been kind of a difficult one. But <laughs> yeah, nonetheless, they, they did beat my team yesterday. So uh, hold that against them for now. But uh, make sure that you give all three of us a follow on Twitter. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we will announce our contest winners. Somebody's going to be going home with a Geno Smith throwback jersey and we'll be dishing out our pre-training camp 53-man roster projections. Should be a jam-packed episode. Make sure you're joining us. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday and thanks for listening. Go Hawks!